0: Open your Bibles for a few minutes tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to show you the mysteries of hidden wisdom that God has revealed to his saints. He, first of all, has hidden them from all natural men. He didn't have to hide very hard because natural men cannot perceive them, understand them, know them, and think they're foolish. But he's also hid them from many ages and generations of godly men. They were not revealed until the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ came along, who have opened them up to the New Testament church, because they are a blessing of the New Testament to know the things that are given to us of God in Christ. They were hid from previous generations of men. This morning, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 31, because I wanted to give you the context leading into chapter 2. We saw in chapter seven, in chapter one, verses seventeen through thirty-one. First of all, that Paul said he did not preach the cross of Christ with the wisdom of men's words, right. in order to keep the cross of Christ as a crucible, as a test by itself, because we do not want to modify the message of the cross of Christ with pleasant words to attract the unregenerate, and we do not want to try to gild the cross of Christ with attractive words to disappoint the righteous, who are very content just to hear about the cross of Christ itself and the blessings that come from it. That was in verse 17. Verse 18, we know well, but you must be established in it. We are different. And this verse, it tells us why. The preaching of the cross is only received as the power of God by those who are already saved. That is different from everyone else. They think that by carrying the gospel to people and telling them about it, they can get excited and believe it and that it will be the power of God to them and they'll become saved. But that is not what the Bible teaches. We go with what the Bible says and here it tells us that those that are saved hear the preaching of the cross and to them it's the power of God, a display of His power. And those that are not saved It's a display of foolishness to them, and they ignore it and reject it. We then saw that God looked down in His wisdom upon men, realized that none of them would ever know Him, and He did not design a gospel to entice them. He designed a gospel that would offend them. The Jews didn't like it because there weren't enough signs. The Greeks didn't like it because there wasn't enough wisdom. But to those that were called, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God, they loved it. And wherever Paul went, there were men and there were women that followed him. You saw in the book of Acts, they would follow him all the way out to the seashore to accompany him into the ship because they loved the man that God had used to bring them the gospel of peace. And so the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace because they were revealing mysteries that others rejected, others couldn't know, but those saints did know because God had opened their hearts to hear the truth of His Word. As verse 25 tells us, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. There isn't really any foolishness with God. But what's perceived to be the foolishness of God, that's Christ, is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, which was the Son of God hanging on a cross, is stronger than men. And by that sacrifice, He redeemed us to Himself. And so the rest of the chapter goes on to describe the fact That God has chosen the poor and foolish things of this world by grace to be His people. You know, what kind of, that's a beautiful gospel. Whenever you're feeling that you're really poor, you're really stupid, you're really base, you really are nothing in this world, guess what? There's a God that came to save those kind of people. And He did save them. And He saved those kind of people so that He could put to shame all others who think they are something in and of themselves. And the reason is, verse 29 and verse 31, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, because the Lord made all the difference. And I showed you all that difference that's in verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That was the context of chapter 1. Chapter 3 tells us further about what, was, what is going on in chapter 2. Chapter 3 is Paul dealing with the fact that at Corinth there were divisions over preacher preference. Right. They were following men rather than following God. And so Paul corrects them. In the first few verses of chapter 3, he corrects them that he could not teach them all the mysteries of God because of the carnal divisions they had among themselves. And if we have a carnal congregation, or a carnal pastor, or both, things will be hid from our eyes. Amen. And we will not see the riches of the grace of the glory that is in Christ Jesus. And so he told them that in the first four verses, are ye not carnal? That fourth verse ends up. He tells them, I couldn't speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, because you're babes and you're fighting about your favorite preachers. And they had some great ones. They had Peter. They had Apollos. They had Paul. And then others would say, well, we're of Christ. You know, to really sound spiritual. And so there was a lot of division taking place in the church at Corinth. After that verse, we can look at verses 5 through 9 where Paul simply says, listen, if, you're, if you are saved and you've heard the gospel and you've believed it, it's all of God. We're simply his servants. Right. All we are our ministers by whom ye believe, verse 5, even as the Lord gave to every man. Ministers are mere servants dependent on God's blessing for success. They can't bring blessing. Paul just preached plain gospel truth about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and the Lord gives, and a person responds, or the Lord closes up a heart, and they do not respond. He opened the heart of Lydia, and He closed many others. That's in verses 5-9 through nine of this third chapter. Verses 10-17 through 17 are Paul's warning, not to the people at Corinth about their pastors, but to the pastors themselves, that they better take heed what kind of ministries they have. He said in verse 10, According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. I came to Corinth and got this church started. I laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. And so from verse 10 down through verse 17 are warnings by Paul to this group of ministers at Corinth that didn't think very highly of him. And he comes down and he tells them in verse 18 that let no man deceive himself, and it's easy to get deceived ourselves, if any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. True wisdom. The wisdom of God, the wisdom to know the hidden mysteries of God that are in Christ Jesus, are for those and reserved for those that will repudiate this world's wisdom, that will not worship at the altar of education of the Greeks of our generation, but that will repudiate it and realize the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And if we will humble ourselves and repudiate that wisdom and make fools of ourselves, so to speak we have the blessing and promise of God that He'll make us wise. Because He said in the second sentence of verse 18, If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Let him reject all of his education by men that he may be taught by God. For the next two verses tell us, just as chapter 1 did, and this is a powerful section of the Bible, against human learning. And human wisdom, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again it's written, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. So if you want to be wise, you reject the wisdom of this world and humble yourself before the precious word of God. Remember, it's the meek that he'll guide in judgment. It's the meek that he'll teach. But if you think yourself to be something in this world's wisdom... Or man's wisdom? Do you know what the Bible says here? You've deceived yourself. Right. Because you're puffing up, you're being puffed up, and you're puffing up something that God considers to be vanity. And that's the learning of men. I said this morning how foolish it is. And we could go on and entertain one another by thinking of how foolish our nation is. The height of literacy and education. Everybody gets a college degree. And so they all believe that we come from monkeys. They all believe, though, that we can suck babies apart with vacuum cleaners inside of mommies while we save baby seals. Right. That's right. They all believe that men can have a relationship with men and women can have a relationship with women instead of men with women. They're contrary to nature, reason, and any bit of light. There is no light in them at all. Amen. And if we will humble ourselves and reject all of that and humble ourselves before the Word of God, His secret is with them that fear Him and He will show them His covenant. Do you know what the conclusion of this is in chapter 3? Paul just gets to the end and he says, Therefore, (laughs) here's my conclusion about all that I've said about man's wisdom and preacher popularity. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Forget glorying in men. For all things are yours. He's going to make sure that you understand that the all things this time is all things. Notice what he does. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. All these things are simply tools by God and part of the plan of God for your life. They're all your things. So what are you glorying in these little things? All are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God. If you want to glory in something, then glory in the Lord. Amen. He comes Amen. right back to what he taught in chapter 1, right. because all things are God's. Right. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He reminds the Corinthians, when I came and preached the gospel to you, how did I do it? I did not do it with excellency of speech or of wisdom. For I determined, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. I want you to notice something about these five verses. These five verses turn modern preaching, modern preaching methods, modern preaching training on its head. They turn it upside down three different ways. First of all, he came without excellency of speech or enticing words. The entire world today has created a brand of preacher that's like a politician, using a bunch of sound bites just to make people happy for a short little message to get them all excited. God never preached that way. His words were hard, they were harsh, they were demanding, and people would turn and go away after Jesus Christ or an apostle preached the gospel. They would leave in droves when Jesus Christ preached. He never wanted to entertain them with good speech. And so Paul said, when I came, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom in verse 1, And he said in verse 4, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. I can hardly get over it. And I've said it many times, this is totally contrary to what is done in pulpits today. They're doing everything in their power through the minister of music and through the minister of youth and through their little 20-minute sermonette with illustrations, anecdotes, jokes, and stories in order to use enticing words to make the people happy. And the Apostle Paul would not do that because he was God's man with God's message and a godly ministry. He didn't use excellency of speech or enticing words of man's wisdom, but he demonstrated the spirit and power. Listen, the Apostle Paul could demonstrate the spirit and power in a whole lot more ways than I can. He could speak in any language and he could speak on any subject at any time without preparation and without a New Testament. And he could heal your dead uncle after the service was over, if he waited that long. He could demonstrate the Spirit, and he could demonstrate power. He could take Old Testament put texts and put them together in a way that you'd never heard before, but it was the right way. Right. And he could demonstrate that by the power of the Spirit, opening his understanding to give him complete understanding of the mysteries of God. And he claims that for himself in Ephesians chapter 3, that there was no other apostle that had the extent of the knowledge that he had in the mysteries of Jesus Christ. And he could open them up and demonstrate them, but he didn't do it with fancy words. He just laid out Christ crucified. He did not come with pretty words. He repudiated seminary instruction and what we would call common sense. He repudiated that, and he chose to leave his speech plain and simple so that hearers would only believe by the power of God. Because he says in verse 5 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I'm going to preach such a simple, boring, plain message about the... It's only boring to the flesh. About the cross of Christ, that if you believe it, it shows that the power of God is evident in your life. Because Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that if we ever believe the message about the preaching of the cross, it's because a power has been worked in our life that is equal to the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Because the world hates the message of Jesus Christ. As a brother told you earlier this evening about natives of Alaska unwilling to hear anything about truth or Jesus Christ or God, so it is with all of us were it not for the power of God. We would not hear, we would reject it. And Paul, Paul just laid it out there, if they didn't want to hear it, that's fine. From the altar of incense, there was a savour of death unto death. Amen. If they wanted to hear it and believe it and be baptized from the altar of incense, there was the savour of life unto life. Amen. But notice the second thing he did. And that's in verse 2, the content of his message. His content, rather than adjusting it to please his hearers, he kept it, the cross of Christ, and him crucified. For I determined... As Paul prepared to preach, he didn't think about what his hearers would like to hear or what worked well in the last city. He preached Christ crucified. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I want to tell you, Paul was a learned man. When Paul in Acts chapter 17 is dealing with Greeks, he could quote from minor poets of theirs to defend his point. He had learning, but he didn't use it. He kept his content, the message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. But then I want you to notice a third thing. His persona. Now today there's an image. Does he have good pulpit manners? Don't, don't ask that question here. But in other places, and in training, they, does the man have good pulpit manners? Paul did not have good pulpit manners, and he made sure he didn't. He did not try to create a persona or an aura around his delivery. Notice his delivery. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, does that sound like the bold and polished and pretty charismatic? And I don't mean that in the religious sense of the word, but the man with charisma on a television screen. Very different. Very different. I was with you in weakness instead of strength and confidence. I was with you in fear rather than boldness and leadership. I was with you in trembling rather than arrogance and success. What a difference. He chose plain and simple speech. He chose to leave the content of his message, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and he kept his personal aura out of it. His personal aura was one of weakness, and that's why men despised him at the church at Corinth. But I want to tell you, he had a message, and that was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, he did all of that, those three things, so that their faith would stand in the power of God. If you came and heard Paul using plain speech, no aura about him, and only preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, and you liked what you heard, God had made a difference in your life. You were one of God's elect, one of the simple ones of this earth that God had revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to from the inside out. And there Paul was preaching to that. And you heard it. And like Lydia, you invited Paul to come home and stay at your house. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord. But now look at Paul. He's just told you several times. I didn't use man's wisdom, but look what he says in verse six. How be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect and them that are perfect I want you to notice his reversal. He's just been calling the saints of God base, foolish, poor, and nothing. He's been, calling the, he's been calling preaching foolishness. And he's referred to wisdom as a bad term describing man's learning. Now he reverses the use of those terms to say, although we didn't use man's wisdom, we were preaching wisdom you follow him in verse 6? He says in verse 6, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. And this word perfect here is used a number of times in our New Testament to to describe those that are complete, those that are are mature, those that are prepared, and these are God's saints. And he's using the word perfect to set it in distinction, to base poor and wretched nothing like he has in chapter 1. He's just reversed his use of terms. He says, No, we don't use their wisdom, but we've got wisdom and it's the wisdom of God. Howbeit we we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. The wisdom of this world amounts to nothing. It leads nowhere and it amounts to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, something they cannot see. And this word mystery is something hid or unknown because the natural man cannot know it. So there's no respect for it. But the Apostle Paul is preaching the wisdom of God. But God's wisdom comes in the form of a mystery because it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And visibly, naturally speaking, there's nothing wise about the cross of Christ. It looks foolish. So it's a mystery. It's hidden. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. You've learned a verse, Ephesians 1.4, according as He hath chosen us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And that verse follows up verse 3 that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings are in heavenly places in Christ. That's where God's blessing is, and He chose us in those things before the world began, and all of those things are a hidden mystery because the world has no clue about them. They are a hidden wisdom of God, of salvation in Christ. It says in verse 8, I want you to notice, I cannot leave verse 7 without pointing out two things. The wisdom of God and eternal salvation through Jesus Christ is something that was ordained, it's not something that was offered. God ordained it. He appointed it. He predestinated it. He elected you. He chose you. He guarantees the complete fulfillment of the salvation of everyone for whom Jesus Christ died. Right. It's an ordained salvation. Amen. The second thing is, it's for your glory. Notice that. For our glory. God has made some appointments. This whole universe is spinning itself down right now but it's moving toward a moment in time where God is going to give you great glory. Now, he's going to get quite a bit himself, and I'm speaking as a fool for your thought processes right now, but he's going to give you some, our glory, because what he's going to display about himself is going to be for our profit. It's our salvation as he displays his grace and love to the universe. That's in verse 7. Verse 8 says, Which none of the princes of this world knew, For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The wise men of Israel, if they had known a little bit about this Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah and the Christ of God, they wouldn't have hung him on the cross. They had no clue, because the natural man cannot see Jesus Christ. They hated this man, and they crucified him. And if they would have known it, they would have preserved their lives and the judgment that came on that nation by not crucifying him. But they went right ahead and crucified him pointing out that there's people that hear the preaching of the gospel and love it, and for them are ordained great things. And there are others that you would think should have the learning and the intelligence to understand. And they went right ahead and crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared. For them that love him. Those are the things ordained before the world unto our glory, the hidden wisdom. And I, 1 Corinthians 2 9 is one of those verses. If you're ever wondering, what's a verse that I could memorize today? Put 1 Corinthians 2 9 up toward the top of that list. But I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You haven't seen them, you haven't heard them, and you can't imagine them but through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because all these spiritual blessings that are in Christ are wonderful. Amen. And the natural man cannot even see them, hear them, or imagine them. They are so great. To be adopted by God... We use the word adoption, and I feel like it falls on the floor before it gets to your souls. Adoption? God looked down into this world and adopted some to be his sons and his daughters. We look at adoption in this life as a glorious act of kindness by two parents, to take a child without parents and to give them a home. And God takes us where the devil is our parent. We're walking according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and he says, I want you to be my son. I'm going to change your nature, and I'm going to take you to my home, and you're going to see things you've never seen before. And I'm going to bless you for all eternity, and you're going to be filled with pleasures at my right hand. I'm going to let you share in me, because you're going to inherit God. Well, Amen. It's incredible. Amen. It's incredible. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. The preaching of the gospel has never entered into the heart of man. Unless God changes the heart, and that's what we get in the next verse, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. God has sent his Spirit into your hearts, by which you know these things that are given to us of God. It is the Spirit of God that makes a difference. The Bible says that God sends forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, by which we cry, Abba, Father. The change that takes place in a man, which is such a powerful change, it's called regeneration and being born again, that change has the Spirit of God inside, which is able to address God as Abba, Father. Dear Father, Daddy Father, Precious Father, Abba, Father a total change. He is the God of heaven. He's the great God, the terrible God as we can read about in many places, but he's also Abba Father, and the Spirit does that. These things the natural man can't see, can't hear and can't even imagine that are prepared for us, God's revealed them unto us by his Spirit from from the inside out. And then through the preaching of the gospel, when the word of God comes and I'm able to tell you about the great blessings that are waiting in Christ. And we're going to get to that, those things, but not tonight. The deep things of God. The spirit wants to bring out all the deep things of God. Justification by imputed righteousness. That's a deep thing of God a legal transaction that took place in the eternal counsel of God to make his elect righteous by applying Christ's righteousness to them and by applying all of our sins to the account of Christ and then leading him out to suffer the penalty of death on our behalf. That is justification. That is a deep thing of God. It's hardly taught anymore. And it's all based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the will of God his Father. We come to verse 11. For what man knoweth the thing? Here's a little explanation about the Spirit of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him. You know, when you're suffering grief in your spirit, you can't really tell anyone else. Nope. No one can really understand. There's a verse in the book of Proverbs that says that you can't really understand the bitterness of another man's soul. It's his little burden because only his soul really knows The pain of what he's thinking about, what he's fearing, or what he's dreading, or what guilt's there. Only the spirit of a man can really understand what's going on inside a man. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, just like that, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. And this is a little explanation for us to understand the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God and understands all there is to know about God, and we've been given that Spirit. He's going to say a little bit more about this in the last verse of this chapter, but we've been given the Spirit that knows the deep things of God and that is able to relate and communicate everything from God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world. The Spirit of the world is me, myself, and I, for my fleshly lusts. Only natural thinking. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Let's make money and have a nice house. Let's do this and let's do that. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God has given us that spirit that, according to verse 10, searches the deep things of God, and according to verse 11, knows the things of God. Verse 13, which things also we speak. Those things that God has ordained for our glory and prepared for them that love him that the Spirit of God reveals, the Apostle Paul said, those things are what we preach. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul said, that's why when I preach, I'm not using enticing words of man's wisdom. I'm not using philosophy or vain deceit. I'm not using stories or illustrations. I'm preaching the Word of God, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Right. There's never been a spiritual illustration written in any book of illustrations. Right. They're natural illustrations for spiritual thoughts that God gave, and we should illustrate the Bible from here. Amen. Right. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Right. Paul could take a New Testament fact about the Lord Jesus Christ and compare it with Old Testament prophecies about him and show its fulfillment. Constantly comparing spiritual with spiritual. The natural man is just bored out of his mind to hear such a discourse. And they go their way. We're going to have visitors come our way, and we'll never see them again because they don't have a heart for what I hope will be spiritual things. And it's not that we're better than anyone else. It's because God's been merciful to us and we want to be faithful to his Bible. Amen, So we compare things within the word of God. You don't know much about my childhood from this pulpit. You don't know much about the bank from this pulpit. You don't know much about President Bush from this pulpit. We don't talk about things like that. We don't compare spiritual things with natural things. We try to compare spiritual things with spiritual as much as we can. Verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. All those wonderful things that I can't see, ear hasn't heard, that God is going to give those that love him. All those things, the natural man can't receive them. Right. Doesn't Has no interest in them. Doesn't receive them. Cannot receive them with any approval or favor. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. These are spiritual blessings. The greatest blessings in the world are not you getting a better job. Right. Right. They're not a bigger house. They're not another wife. For you polygamists, they're not anything like that. Don't any of you women get scared? They're nothing like that. The, the blessings that are, that are the things that God has prepared for us are Spiritual. And whenever we vary from appreciating spiritual things, do you know what we're acting like? A natural man. And a natural man, do you know how much understanding he has of the things of God and of God himself? None. And we're putting ourselves in a horrible situation. We want to keep our focus on the spiritual blessings of justification of our Lord's incarnation, his virgin birth. His blessings, His resurrection, His glorification at the right hand of God. And His coming for us with an eternal inheritance reserved in heaven for us. And whenever we get moved away from that, God help us and save us from being a carnal church. Right. The natural man, what you have by nature and all other men. This is why it's called a hidden wisdom. Because the things that we're preaching... If the whole world were to line up, we were, get, we were to give it to them as eloquently as we could and as persuasively as we could, it would not do any good because it's spiritually discerned and they have no spirit for it. Right. They're just natural. I didn't get anything out of that. They walk out the door. Mm-hmm. But he that is spiritual, look at the difference. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. The spiritual man is able to perceive and receive, and understand, and love. That's what the, the, the word judge there means a whole lot. He that is spiritual, because notice what it's said against. If you want to understand the word judge, you look back at verse 14. The natural man wasn't, didn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. He considered them foolish. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. But a spiritual man does receive those things, They're not foolishness to him. They're wisdom. He's able to judge those are wonderful things. He's able to discern what I've just heard is great. He's able to recognize there is real blessing in what I just heard. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, discerns, approves, loves, recognizes, all those spiritual things that God has prepared for them that love Him. Right. And yet look at this little expression. Yet He Himself is judged of no man. Mm-hmm. Yet there's no one in the world that can understand what makes us different. They can't judge us in the, in the sense that they can't perceive or understand or recognize or appreciate what makes us different. Why we'd be willing to sit in an assembly like this and hear about the things of God. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he's judged of no man, because they don't understand, because we have a gift from God, his spirit within us that causes us to appreciate spiritual things. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? No one. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? No natural man. Do we know the mind of the Lord? Yes. But we have the mind of Christ. There's a proof of the deity of Jesus Christ stuck in there a little, might not be visible to your view, but the mind of Christ, the mind of the Lord, are the same mind. We have the mind of Christ. We know the mind of the Lord because he's revealed to us what his mind is. And that mind is an everlasting salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord and all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ for us to be accepted in the Beloved and to receive an eternal inheritance to which We are predestinated. That's the mind of the Lord. He wanted some children. He has some children. He'll lose none of them, and He's going to take them all home to live with Him forever. We have the mind of Christ. We know the mysteries, the hidden wisdom. The mysteries of hidden wisdom that the world mocks at and ignores and rejects, God has revealed it to us. They don't even know where they came from. They talk about a big bang, they talk about monkeys. They don't know what happens after life. They come in ignorant. They go out ignorant. They don't know their purpose. God has revealed these things to us because we know the mind of the Lord, because we have the mind of Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word this night. Amen.